0: Hello, Deconstruction Community. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, a show that gives a platform for people to share their stories of surviving toxic religious environments. As a trigger warning, a lot of topics on this show will revolve around religious trauma, mental health, and spiritual abuse. Hello everyone, this is Speaking Up with Andrew Pleasure, and I am super excited for today's guest. I've been looking forward to it for a while. (laughs) Today I have here with me David Hayward, also known as the Naked Pastor. And David Hayward, he was a pastor before turning to art. He is known as a Naked Pastor because naked meaning being vulnerable, and his cartoons challenge the norms in religious spaces. And um, these cartoons are more than just drawings, but art that inspires, provokes, and starts conversations. David also creates contemplative paintings and charcoal drawings, and he enjoys engaging in conversations around deconstruction, freedom of thought, and spirituality. Thank you so much, David, for coming on the show. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. Hello to everybody out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And so as we get into the interview, usually, you know, this is about people's personal stories. So I always mm-hmm. want to start from the beginning. And so the first question is, what was your childhood like regarding yeah. religion?
1: Yeah, so I, I grew up in a um, pretty... Uh, conservative i'd say christian household we weren't loyal to any one denomination although i was baptized anglican i'm in canada so uh anglican which would be equivalent to your episcopal and um you know was circumcised on the eighth day by a a jewish rabbi (laughs) maybe that's tmi uh grew up in all kinds of different churches um because we moved around a lot so we were never really loyal to one denomination. And there were many Sundays we didn't go to church or whatever. And, um, but my my mom and dad, I they were saved at a Billy Graham crusade before I was born. And, you know, uh, that was sort of the flavor of our, my religious upbringing. And then we ended up all, um, when I was a teenager going, started going to a Baptist church. And that's when I... Full on, dove into the deep end of of religion, Christianity, evangelicalism. We switched from there to Pentecostal and and so on. so that's that's my my upbringing. It was just constantly it was in the air, religion, Christianity, evangelicalism, it was always in the air. but it was when I became a teenager that I
0: you know was all in. yeah. And so were your parents very adamant and strict about their faith or what was their stance towards it? Um,
1: I don't remember that. Uh, it was more, um, you know, they are good people, upstanding citizens. My dad was a cop, um, and very traditional patriarchal old school. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I grew up in, I, I would say, a, a very strict household. Um, and I was the oldest of five kids and uh, still am. That never changed. And uh, <laughs> just, you know, I was always grew up feeling responsible and, um, you know, always wanting to be a good person. And, uh, you know, during my teen years, going, getting into youth group and all that, it sort of hammered that home, really.
0: Yeah. And so did you feel like you had generally good experiences um, in church growing up or were there some negative or was it a mix of both? How was that for you?
1: Uh, I'd say it was a <clears throat> mostly positive. Um, I mean, what I mean is I enjoyed it at the time. But looking back, I can see where I was being um, shaped or molded or influenced or um oppressed or you know all those kinds of things looking back at the time I didn't feel that of course many of us don't we feel you know like this is what you do and uh so at the time you know like in the Baptist youth group or the Pentecostal youth group it was fun at the time but looking back I can see how I was being uh, my my true authentic self was being um, corrected and, and shaped and molded and, you know, oppressed and all that. So I'm sure that's the way it is for most people.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what are some specific examples as you look back of them oppressing your authentic self?
1: Uh, well, some of the, some of the funny ones are when me and me trying to be funny, and um you know wanting to get everybody to laugh and you know being corrected or or whatever um you know i we canadians have a pretty funny sense of humor and and um we can be a little bit dark (laughs) and maybe a little bit crass too but um you know i i enjoy making people laugh and being the life of the party or the clown in the, of the classroom or whatever. And, and, uh, that was often, uh, corrected now that I'm an adult, I I'm, I can be the clown and nobody can stop me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: I love it. (laughs) Um, and so I know, you know, you ended up being a pastor, so I'm just curious, you know, Mm -hmm. what led you to do that and how long were you a pastor and really what started that deconstruction journey also?
1: Yeah. I was a pastor for about 30 years um, and I sort of fell into it by accident. I originally, I I went to Bible college. That's where I met my wife, Lisa. She's from the States and um, we went from Bible college to seminary uh, where I was studying New Testament and, you know, I took all the Greek and all the Hebrew and all the Aramaic and all the theological French and theological German and, you know, you name it. I was, headed to be a New Testament scholar and uh, studied under Dr. Gordon Fee, you know, textual criticism, blah, 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 blah. So I graduated from seminary. Um, I needed some pastoral experience, so I I assisted uh, in a big Presbyterian church for a bit, and then uh, went to um, University of Toronto to get my PhD in New Testament. But... um, after my first semester, uh, Lisa is, is expecting a child and we could no longer sustain the financial burden of me in my PhD studies. And I was offered um, an opportunity to go for a year to McGill University, get a ministry degree, uh, another diploma, a master's, and um, go into ministry. And I would have housing and and a salary and everything, mm-hmm. and it was too good to turn out. So I kind of yeah. accidentally ended up in the ministry. Oh, club, I got you. And then I ended up staying there for like thirty years as a pastor. So, and then I, I left in uh, I left the ministry in two thousand ten. But what oh, began wow. my um, what began my deconstruction was actually the very day I was graduating from seminary. Uh, Oh my wow. (laughs) uh, I I had read this book that caused me to question the inspiration of scripture. And and that for me was the cornerstone of all my theology. Everything hinged on the Bible. The the Bible was the foundation of all my beliefs. Of course, I've already told you all. You know, I, you know, studying the Bible was my thing uh, and all the original languages and you know, everything. And so to start questioning the um, infallibility, inerrancy, and inspiration of Scripture was a big, big deal, and that's what started my very, very, very slow deconstruction that took decades to complete. And uh, but it, that's where
0: it started—the day I graduated from from seminary. wow that's just so incredible to me. Like the day you graduate, you're like, "Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow!" <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It, was, it was devastating. I mean, my oh. Lisa was, I was freaking out in my bedroom, in our bedroom, like, cause you know, I, I had to go and graduate, but here I I was falling apart because my all my theology and everything was blowing up disintegrating before my very eyes. And Lisa literally had to grab me and say, you need to go to graduation. You know? So it was, it was that devastating. And it just slowly, you know, it was kind of like a corrupt computer code was inserted in my hard drive and oh, I see. started going to work. And it like I said, it took 30 years for that to play mm-hmm. out. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so I'm just curious, do you remember what book you read that caused <laughs> that questioning? <laughs> No, uh, I get to
1: ask this a lot because I always mention a book and everybody's like, what book is it? What book is it? But you know what? Everybody's going to be disappointed. Uh, And they're going to be like, what the heck? Like, because, you know, it doesn't doesn't really matter sometimes what causes you to question everything. It can be anything, right? Could be a movie, could be a song, could be a sunset. For me, it was this little book called the Silence of Jesus by James Breach that I just, it wasn't even on any of my syllabi. I just happened to pick it up, was intrigued by the title and read it. And the way he presented his arguments basically made me question the uh, inspiration of scripture. And uh, yeah, that's what, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't even know if you can find the book now. I mean, once in a while I'll look mm-hmm. for a used copy, but they're hard to find. And it wasn't a, that didn't make a big dent in the theological world, I don't think, but it did in mine for sure, it was huge. Mm,
0: okay, yeah, that's interesting um, because I know every single you know deconstruction journey is different and I guess for me personally, um, you know, experiencing religious trauma um, in the fundamentalist movement in America, I guess, I was, it's interesting because when you start deconstructing, I think a lot of people don't actually realize you're doing it until you become very serious or research more about what you're doing. So, I mean, I've really been, I'm 22 now, but I've been deconstructing since I was really 17, I guess. And so for me, really a big part of deconstructing was really removing that power and control that the church had over me through indoctrination. And like, um, Mm. I think Stephen, Stephen Hassan, he's a cult expert, And he would call this thing, it's called phobia indoctrination. And it's where they indoctrinate you with all these things to scare you into staying. So like, for example, like growing up in church, I was always told like, you know, if you leave our denomination or you leave church, like you're gonna live a terrible, miserable life. You're gonna fall into um, drug addiction and alcoholism, just all these things. So there are all these beliefs, personal beliefs that they have that they scare you with. And I think another thing with indoctrination is that um, me, I guess, figuring out like, okay, like there are a lot of things, claims in religion that like can't prove or disprove Um, really. It's just kind of like up in the air. And so Mm -hmm. for me, when I was deconstructing, I was like, okay, like what are the claims they're making? What are things that I can actually prove or disprove? And uh, the infallibility and errancy was one of those things. And I'm like, okay, like we have the Bible, um, and if it truly is perfect and is inerrant, then it should be able to hold up to scrutiny. <laughs> um, and that too, I guess, really was the beginning for me when it really started cracking too, because I feel like a lot of denominations are built foundationally on, oh yes, the Bible is perfect, is infallible, don't question it. And I think for me, like I specifically just started researching books that could walk me through. Um, I guess he would say um, issues or contradictions um, in the Bible. And like there was, I think I have the book right here. It's called All That's Wrong With the Bible. It's by Jonah David Connor, but it was just, it's it's a small book. It's just kind of like a guide to help um, you. And like, I don't agree with everything he has in the book, but he has a lot of legit things. And really like when I read it, and I look through my Bible myself. I was really like shocked, and I can like relate to your feeling. Like it just shakes your world, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. "Oh my yeah. gosh!" Like <laughs> it just feels really weird. You feel so uncertain, <laughs> really, yeah. and and when you've been so certain for years, it's like, "Oh my gosh, like what is this?" And mm-hmm. so I'm just curious. Like, so you were a pastor for 30 years, mm-hmm. and so you went into the ministry already having those doubts about the infallibility and inerrancy and so how in those 30 years um along the way how did that deconstruction continue with different beliefs and things right
1: Right. so one of the um um piece of advice that i got from a theologian carl bart um not i didn't get it from him personally i read about it in one of his books but Uh, where he said the answer to a real serious problem isn't by just totally believing it or totally rejecting it. Somehow you have to work your way through it. And so here I had a problem where I loved the Bible and loved uh, the church and loved Christianity. And at the same time, I could see holes in everything, the, the, the imperfections of them all. So I had to, I had a choice to either um, for blind myself and be naive about the, the problems and just, you know, sign on wholeheartedly without any questions and just be totally 100% loyal to the Bible, the church, the faith, or reject that because it's got holes in it and, and embrace, and you know, it's, it's got holes and it's false and I'm going to reject the whole thing. And uh, so, and that's what often people do. Uh, and that's what I've seen people do is they either um, try to ignore the problems or they uh, forget about and reject everything, you know, their faith and and all that. I chose to, okay, I'm going to, I value both. I've, I've, I value the church, et cetera. But I also believe there are problems. There's holes in its arguments, et cetera. And, and so I had to figure out a way to work through that. It took me 30 years, all the way through the ministry, me just trying to figure out. And I'll be honest with you, I was, I, many times I threw in the towel. It's like I give up. I can't reconcile
0: mm-hmm. yeah. to
1: extremities. Oh. And it wasn't until 2009, the year before I left the ministry, where I had this sort of epiphany moment where I saw everything is connected, the oneness of all things. And then, like, it was like the last piece of the puzzle went in and it all, I peace of hmm, mind,
0: that tension
1: left. Uh, I felt everything was at peace. And I started to express that in my blog and so on and in my cartoons. And that caused problems. <laughs> and a year later, <laughs> yeah. I, I had to leave.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. And so what do you think? What caused that epiphany, it sounds like, for you to have that feeling of one i thought oh i I was gonna i was gonna ask that because i've heard so many people have that experience and i've read about it
1: (laughs) no a lot of people a lot of people i have nothing against mushrooms by the way or Uh you know cannabis or whatever although cannabis isn't hypnosis or um psychedelic producing Mm -hmm. but uh um I get a lot of people say, sounds like you had a mushroom trip. Yes. uh Ayahuasca or something, but no, it was, uh, it was crazy. It was like in the afternoon, I was tired. I lied down for a nap and I just saw this picture of a waterfall, not literally in my mind. And um, I just, it just uh, in a moment, it just all made sense and that there's just one reality. I'll unfold it for you here, just take me a moment. I just saw there's just one reality and we all have our own interpretations of what that is and our own way of describing it, but there's just one, one reality, one world. And uh, it was like, I, and I was really in a lot of anxiety, a lot of angst. And I was one of those times when I was just ready to throw in the towel, towel. I can't reconcile this. Either it's all right or it's all wrong. I can't figure out, you know, and that included. How does the church be inclusive with uh, people that they think is sinful? Uh, how, you know, how, uh, what about um, the Jews? And what about the Muslims? And what about Hindus? And what about atheists? All these wonderful, beautiful people that I know. Um, and I, I just couldn't reconcile it with, uh the theology that i had grown up with but that that moment that epiphany moment um it just all came together that is one reality with all of our different interpretations of it but we're still all part of that one reality that connected that connectivity and um yeah peace of mind never left beautiful and i love it and that's how i see the world and um but it it uh, caused me to have to leave the ministry about a year later. And, um, and, and so I, I focused on Naked Pastor full-time. I'd been blogging already for five years, but I decided to see if I could do it full-time and it worked, yeah.
0: Oh, wow, that, that's so incredible to me to hear so, about that experience because, you know, people don't have to take mushrooms to have the experience, it's a lot harder to have that experience without mushrooms with the fact that you did is pretty incredible. And it's just really interesting to me because, you know, um, you know, I've been getting into psychology and I'm planning to get my master's in it. And I really like, I love Carl Jung so much. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, tons. Oh yeah. yes. Okay. So that's interesting because once I actually learned more and more about him, I really like, I guess what caught my attention about your artwork is um, Sophia, um, yeah. that feminine energy, Inima, that, that, right. that yeah, the anima, the archetype of that. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, like that's his, because <laughs> like yeah. most people who are not knowledgeable about that would think, oh, well, he's just drawing something. But for me, I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's represents something in his unconsciousness. Like, it's well, just- Well, I write that in my
1: introduction,
0: actually, and I give you credit. You did? Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, okay
1: but I didn't realize that until you know I was like eight or nine pictures in when I was mm-hmm. drawing and realized yeah. oh my goodness I'm drawing my this is me this is my yes. journey this is my mm-hmm. animal my my uh, soul or my spirit yes. or mm-hmm. my own inner
0: wisdom or whatever which is what yeah is. and mm. yeah it was a profound experience oh yeah. yeah that's so cool and like for anyone who's not familiar with young like he's he was a psychologist a philosopher and just oh my gosh, like he's was such a genius. <laughs> uh his work blows. And he my grew mind. up, he grew up in a very
1: uh religious mm. home. His dad was a pastor, yeah. And very, very uh mm-hmm. hard, hardline mm-hmm. pastor. And yeah. uh, so mm-hmm. young branched out into his own um ideas mm-hmm. and uh, quite quite powerful. Mm -hmm. yeah no i have a lot of appreciation
0: for young he's really Mm -hmm. contributed a lot to my own spiritual growth for sure and i would say yeah definitely for me too because i think what's incredible about young and the realizations he came to is that he was in control of his spiritual journey really Mm -hmm. and it was a path that was right for him there wasn't some black and white guide or answer and i know you know when he was alive and his writings were popular and they're still popular today but and I know Christians still really don't like him a lot, <laughs> but because no. he questioned um, their interpretation of scripture and like, you know, and even learning about mythology just has been mind-blowing to me. And it really starts to make sense of why the Bible connects with so many people. It's because it's it's rehashed, it's mythology, really. Yeah. And like, it's, it's been in our, it's been in the, our, um, what's it called? This is the collective unconscious, yes. Um really um for so long it's just his theory on that was just incredible to me too because he tried to grapple with that question of like you know how can all these different cultures have these very like same blueprint of stories but you know didn't interact he's like this has and yet like you know pastors or things they don't like to acknowledge mythology or deal with it or pretend it doesn't like he said they can ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist yeah, um, there's I,
1: all kinds of uh, <laughs> creation stories, fall stories, um, uh, colonialist stories, um, conversion stories, resurrection stories, virgin birth stories,
0: uh, you know, all kinds, so many parallels. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was just so incredible to me to see him, um, to interpret it, on regarding like psychological development, because there is this book I started reading yesterday. It's called um, "The Ego and the Archetype," and it's about a young. It's a Jungian psychologist wrote it, um, just kind of like going through, um, really making a synthesis of Jung's work and guiding people through what he discovered and what it means in your mind. And like yesterday this guy was kind of going through the creation story in Genesis and he was talking about like the self it's just totality and how that's what the paradise and the garden represented. And then when the ego separated from the self, that's kind of like represented how like, so the self is God, the ego is like kind of, I guess you would say Satan in that story, leaving. And, you know, you're aware of, I guess you would say morality and you have that knowledge or that awareness of like the opposites of good and evil, light and dark and all those things. And it was mm-hmm. talking about how it's representing that psychological development or thing that happened, that change in humanity. Yes. So it's just, it was just so in- incredible to me to because, you know, growing up, you know especially in a lot of denominations and especially in fundamentalism you're always taught this very literal (laughs) um interpretation so you know looking back and even like you know i didn't leave religion really until like january of this year (laughs) so yeah very recent i was you know it took me a, a little bit to get away but um i think it was like last summer in 2021 you know, it was, you know, I was ready to leave, but it's just in that awkward position where like you're still at a Christian college and you've yeah. been entrenched in it. And I remember helping my parents, the Sunday school class, and they're just, they're telling the creation story and telling the kids about this talking snake that actually existed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is so ridiculous. Why are we telling these kids this actually happened? Yeah. And it's just, I guess when we see how indoctrinated um, my parents were still and I think they always will be um but mm-hmm. I think that was after that moment I was like yeah I'm like I don't think I'm gonna help them <laughs> anymore yeah. with this class because yeah. and it was just that awkward transition but yeah I went to Bob Jones University oh wow okay yeah <laughs> yeah right. that was the college I went to I was expelled back in January from Bob Jones <laughs> yeah i know that when i really ask
1: cool. why you were expelled or
0: is that private oh it's definitely not private oh. <laughs> um I, yeah but um i mean long story short basically it's interesting because in college i was an art major and i enjoyed expressing my emotions and ideas through art and so my senior year of college I really started researching religious trauma and using like specifically art photography to explore and express religious trauma and so I created a photo series about my journey of going through religious trauma and when I released it, I was hoping that a lot of people would connect with that journey and so I decided Um, I I decided not to submit it to Bob Jones because I knew it would be controversial. So I just kind of, it was a secret project that I did on their campus kind of. But I decided I wanted to find some kind of space to promote it so people could connect and just to find that audience. And so uh, I reached out to Joshua Harris and he had, at the time he had an Instagram show called Every Story Matters. And he would interview People on Instagram live, I think like every other week or something to hear their story and um, their deconstruction journey and the work that they're doing because of that. And so when he finally got back to me, which I was shocked that he actually got back to me, but he wanted me to be on the show. And so when that happened, like I had this dilemma of like, do I actually do this? Like, if I do this, will I get kicked out? Or, um, you know, should I be true to myself? Should I not? Should I just buck it up and deal with it? But I think after like a long time of thinking about it, like I agreed to do it. And I, I, I've tried to plan ways to avoid getting kicked out, but it still happened. But I literally did the interview the day before my last semester at Bob Jones University.
1: Oh, wow. That's, yeah.
0: That's too bad. I yeah, mean, and...
1: I'd be the same though. Yeah. I, like for... I was always, uh, um, self, some people would call it self-sabotaging or shooting myself <laughs> but I, I felt I needed to be who I was at that moment yeah. You know, cost mm-hmm. me.
0: yeah yeah and like for me like a lot of people didn't understand that and but for me you know I definitely relate to you know what like you know my mental health is more important being true to myself is more important and it's really frustrating when you know you get to really know yourself a lot more and then you're like oh my gosh like it's possible that I won't be able to be this. And, and for me, I kept making excuses to stay in that kind of environment because it was familiar, it was comfortable. And I was like, you know what, if this gives me the push that I need to get out of this, like, that's fine. Like for my mental health and well being, And, and you know, and p- part of it too, is that I was okay with getting kicked out because I really don't want to tell people the rest of my life that I graduated from Bob Jones University. <laughs> Like, I just don't. Can I
1: ask, how many photographs did you end up
0: having? Oh, I think it was like 12 or 13. I have to recount, but I'll I'll send you the link after this if you want to look at it.
1: Oh, Um, I was going to say, if if there were enough, you should compile a book, write
0: your story. Oh, that's true. I've thought about that, definitely. Like, I I have been writing a book since I was 19, and I've definitely thought about, like, putting them in there because I think people... Um, would definitely yeah. enjoy that and resonate a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of great things have worked out because once I was expelled, that's when I really, I'm like, okay, like I'm going to therapy <laughs> and you know, I'm taking a break from life. I'm working on my book, working on my social media, and all these different things. Because um, yep. like I have been in it for, like I grew up in it. I was homeschooled my whole life. And then you know, at Bob Jones for three and a half years. Um, but it it was not easy to, um, to do that, all that deconstruction, but I mean, it is great now because I actually, I work for Rachel Bernstein. Um, she's a therapist and she's a cult expert and she hosts the podcast indoctrination and it's really great. I was able to connect with her because really what she's doing now is really what I want to do one day is, um, help with cult recovery and do interventions with people. Um, have her get me
1: on her show too <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah I mean that's yeah I'll, I'll reach out to her and she's trying to get different people in the deconstruction community oh, involved okay. so yeah I'll, I'll put your name I'm sure she would love to have you on most definitely and she's just awesome. a beautiful soul a wonderful person and it's her story is so so interesting and like her her sister she was um, trapped in Scientology and that's really what inspired her to become okay. a cult expert. And like, she, she is a target by the Scientology church. Like they really hate her. Um, so she has to deal with a lot of that crap, um, a yep. lot. But yeah. um, wow. I guess mm-hmm, it's pretty incredible all that she does. But I guess another question for you is that what advice do you have for people who are stuck in these environments and are starting to deconstruct and dealing with the dilemma of that?
1: Well, number one is safety. I always, no matter if you're coming out sexually or gender or uh, spiritually or whatever, um, number one is is safety. I I'm always encouraging people to come out in whatever way, but it's there, always a disclaimer. However, make sure you're safe. Like, don't pressure yourself to come out if it's going to. Endanger your life or your family, or if if you know you might lose your job, which you don't want to lose your job. Um, I, I came out spiritually or theologically, and I did lose my job a couple of times, but that was okay. I was willing to pay that price. But mm-hmm. some people can't.
0: Yeah, true.
1: Or don't want to. So that's number one: is is um, you know let the pressure build up inside a little bit, um, and and do it when you feel safe. And, and when it's not such a high risk. I mean, I've quit or been fired and put in very vulnerable positions as a husband and a father to little kids. And they were scary times and I wouldn't want to wish that on anybody. But um, I always landed on my feet and um, thank goodness for that. But that's number one. And, and the other one is, um, you know, you, you can decide how to deconstruct like that. That's what I'm always telling everybody. It's up to you how you do it. You can, you know, come exploding out of the, you know, telephone booth and <laughs> expose yourself to everybody all at once. Or you can just sort of let it leak out a little bit at a time. It's it's totally up to you how you wanna do it. And so, um, and then finally, Let that be your goal is I'm looking forward to being able to free be feel free to be my authentic self and your authentic self will find a way to get there because your authentic self is screaming to come out. So, um, and, and it'll find ways if you are consciously open to that. Um, and, and so if you're consciously open to being authentic, eventually, uh, you'll, you'll get there. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty authentic, um, although I have a ways to go because I'm still aware of the um, attacks that I will get. I worry about my family,
0: mm, yeah, um,
1: you know, other things. So I, there are things I'm, I'm not fully exposed yet, but, um, you know, that'll it'll come and I'm not in a rush. Nobody has a gun to my head to do this. And and uh, but I, I will be my my full authentic self um, in due time. So that's what I that's what I recommend. And some people find themselves in very very uh, uh, high monitored situations, uh, like Bob Jones would be an example. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then other people are just like they're they're at a they work for the town or the, or, you know, uh, some company and, you know, their, their hot spots are maybe at home with their parents or maybe at their church or something. And you can compartmentalize those things, but, uh, for some of us, you know, our whole lives might get turned upside down all at once. So that's my yeah. advice.
0: Yeah. yeah. And another question just popped into my mind, which I think, I think is important to me, at least, and I think other people too, is that like, what is your spiritual life like now? And like, also, like, how do you define spirituality to, at least to you personally? What does that mean to you?
1: When I talk about spirituality, I do not necessarily invoke any sense of divinity. So for me, spirituality would be along the Jungian, mystical, uh, mm-hmm. Quantum physics kind of yeah. mm-hmm. uh, explanation where it's our inner selves, our our rich, deep inner life, and if for you that involves a divinity, that's fine. If it doesn't, that's fine too. So um, that's that's what I define by spiritual. So for me, I literally do believe everything is one. It's all connected. There isn't a divinity up there, and I'm down here. It's all all one. So uh, everything I do is imbued or infused with divinity, or or not. Like you know what I mean? Like it's all it's all.
0: Yeah. And, I know you. Mm-hmm.
1: and so you know, I get up in the morning. Uh, it's very peaceful. Uh, I I might I do some contemplative reading breathing, meditate, write in my journal, make coffee, take my dog out, put on some music. Um, you know, then I'm, I start working, I start drawing or writing or whatever, painting. And, you know, uh, Paul says, uh, um, pray without ceasing, which I think kind of gets to the spirit of that kind of a holistic approach to spirituality, where it, it just doesn't stop your whole day is spiritual there isn't a mm-hmm. separation or a division between sacred and secular there mm-hmm. is not it's all one yeah So my whole day just is imbued or infused with that you know lovely wonder i guess yeah and and uh you know and and so these spiritual practices you know breathing meditating even exercising walking in the woods
0: oh yes painting. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: all these things are are spiritual in my opinion whether or not you believe that there's a divinity present or not
0: yeah because it's really interesting because i think i have a very similar perspective to you of spirituality especially because young has really influence that. And I think one another because it's been interesting to look back because like when you deconstruct, there are some things I guess that you forget and then you'll remember again. You're like, oh, I forget I used to believe that. And one of the things people are taught a lot in church is that you know you'll never be happy. You'll never be spiritually satisfied without doing it this way. And that's another way that gets you entrapped and stuck in their system of control. And that was a really hard one for me to get over and to get past and to find a spiritual life that was actually, um, clearly like nourishing and feeding to my spirit, how it's supposed to be really. (laughs) And, um, for me too, it's very similar of like getting out in nature. Um, for me, like reading books, journaling, and I, I love meditation. It has been so helpful Mm -hmm. for me. Um, and I think there are, I know there are some people it's harder for them. Um, to get in touch with themselves, because people, I know there are some people, or a lot of people really, that are scared to be alone with their thoughts, and who they are, and deal with those things. A lot of people try to avoid themselves um, through different things, but, you know, I think I'm more of an introvert, so I guess I just find that um, more easily to be introspective and to deal with myself and like, yeah. not going to lie. There have been times when I isolate too much and it's been unhealthy. So like yeah. finding that balance in life of yeah. uh, everything was definitely. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm the same. I'm, I basically live the life of a hermit, but I'm okay with that. And when I want to see people, I really want to see mm-hmm. people. I do. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: uh, you know, that, that thing you, what, what did you call it? Fear indoctrination? Or oh, what?
0: um, oh, it's phobia indoctrination and it's Mm basically yes you know
1: that's not just a religious thing um it's used everywhere fear is
0: oh yes everywhere Mm -hmm. yes
1: when you hear a, a husband say to his wife you know if you leave me you'll never find a better man or you'll never be happy again or you'll th- you won't find anybody to take care of you or or we tell our kids you know don't go into the woods alone because there's witches in there and they'll cook you for supper or you know <laughs> or, or, you <laughs> yeah know, i know what you a mean holiday keeps the doctor away like it, fear is everywhere to in order to keep us and often it's good intention they want us to be safe and, and a lot of religious leaders and religions it's good intentioned, well-intentioned, you know, mm-hmm. if you leave, you're going to perish. Um, that, that is because they generally believe that mm-hmm. yeah. they're the right way and other, uh, you know, and this is the only way and any other way is, is held down. And, and so, you know, I, I recognize that it's, it's just fear is everywhere. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Always being used as a tool to manipulate and control and to keep us. And, and seeing through that um, not only um, liberates us from the power, oppressive power of religion, mm-hmm. but all kinds of relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Um, Cause I think, in especially like in political news a lot, fear, especially Fox News and just yeah. I guess news in general, just fear is used so much, um, and you know, even like, yeah, you're so right, even with those relationships, and especially in like I know with narcissistic abuse, it's to a whole other level that goes on yes, yeah, there yeah. too, sadly. And it's interesting as I've worked for Rachel Bernstein and how, you know, she talks about the similarities of a cult leader's relationship to his um followers and a narcissist's relationship to his partner. It's just very similar with the tactics and things that they use. It's just with a narcissist, it's just a one-on-one thing and on a group. Right. So it's amazing yeah. to learn about these different techniques and do see that bigger picture um, of where it infiltrates into our social groups um, yeah. and our relationships to and dealing with them. Yeah. And so um, before we end the interview, is there anything else that you would like to say?
1: Um, I have a new book coming out. <laughs> uh, oh, called- yes. Flip it like this. There it is. Just one second. Flip it like this. Okay. And uh, oh, I keep forgetting that you know this is a podcast and it's not necessarily a video. Oh, but, got uh, you. Um, yeah, it's called Flip It Like This, and it's a collection mm-hmm. of my my cartoons.
0: Oh yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's uh, not a collection of all of them. There's over forty five hundred cartoons, and I had to choose the top one hundred and twenty oh wow okay it's my best book coming out in in july but you
0: can pre-order it now yeah. oh, okay that's cool yeah i'll link that in the show notes so people can find okay. that yeah. yes and then perfect. i think i i try to put the videos out on youtube so if anyone watches it there you can see the cover oh, on that too yeah. um but thank you so much Javid, for coming on the show It's been such an honor talking to you and like meeting you, like, oh my gosh, like you are just such a big figure in the deconstruction community online and just provoking and inspiring people. And I think really like you help people process and understand those things that bother people about religion. And you've really dug into that. And I know that like, you know, you deal so much with haters, um, and different things. But yeah, thank you for all that you do for the deconstruction community.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Very encouraging. I'll keep doing it.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. All right, thank you everyone for listening. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Fledger. This podcast is distributed by Anchor from Spotify. Is the easiest way to make a podcast. Everything you need is in one space. Anchor has the tools to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. And it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to start creating your own podcast today. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pludger. Please support the show by sharing, donating, or leaving a review. Your support is much appreciated.